Hi. Hello there. Hello there. So this is Tete DePunk, and today we're going to be interviewing Fortunus Games. Uh, Fortunus Games is currently working on Sam in New York, which is a multimedia project in the form of a visual novel and a webtoon comic. Sam in New York tells the story of a young man trying to discover his purpose in life as he is torn between his parents' desire for him to be a lawyer and his own love of the stage. So uh, we were discussing about um, historical fiction and the research that it involves. And of course, we're furthering expanding this uh, discussion that you had had with Hellevorn. And then in our previous session together, um, when we were talking about the development of Gleb and Petya and their father. So um, I imagine we have a few questions that the audience would probably like to hear your take on. Uh, the first question is, what is your approach to tackling historical fiction? Do you tend to focus on gathering facts before you begin writing the story? Or do you prefer writing the story and researching the facts to fit into the story? I think it's like a bit of both. For Sam in New York, I think what I really focused on initially was the setting. Because back in 2017, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with the story. I pretty much only had the concept of Sam and his parents as characters. And I just really wanted to look into the story and in the setting that it takes place in. So I did the, the gathering of facts first and basically focused on more on the academic essays about the time period, as well as like primary resources about that time period, especially Yiddish theater, which I found really fascinating. So, you know, I gathered all of these facts before thinking about how I can approach the story and where the, where the plot will go. Because back in 2017, I didn't know where the plot was going. It was just really basically a bunch of anecdotes <clears throat> about how this young man was growing up on the Lower East Side. But now in 2020, especially after the Webtoon short story contest, I have a better idea of where I'm going and I have, you know, I have collected a lot of ideas about what the visual novel will be about and what the webtoon will be about. So it's really about absorbing all the information you've gathered over the past few years and then basically just kind of like immersing yourself in that world until you kind of absorb all the information so you don't need to do that much more research. You just write the story and then if you come to you know, an area of the story where you do need to do more research, you do the research, basically building on the foundation you've already laid down for yourself. So essentially, it's more of an, it's almost an organic process, almost like, you know, you absorb it by osmosis of study and immersing yourself into that, uh, into that time period and setting. I think so, yes. Right. Uh, the second question is, um, what are the challenges of finding accurate sources regarding the people and location itself? I think what one of the challenges is that what I'm writing about is rather um, niche, I would say. There's not that much information about certain Yiddish plays. I had to look very deep to find like even one sentence about what they were about. And oftentimes it's very, very basic. There's not a lot of information about what exactly went on in some of those plays. So I think I have the creative license to kind of brainstorm about what it would be about. Because in general, for example, a lot of people were saying that Yiddish theater reflected a lot of what the immigrants were thinking about in their own lives, you know, their own struggles in America. So, you know, I can kind of take creative license about what a particular Yiddish play was about. Right, right. So 
you know, especially when people face that challenge of having, you know, they're researching something that's niche, then, you know, in your view, creative license is permitted as, as long as it kind of follows a logical development, you know, as long as you don't go off on a tangent or add anything anachronistic, then creative license is then permitted. I think so, yes. Especially, you know, in something like Sam in New York, which is really about creativity, performativity, and, you know, discovery of the self. I think there can be more, you know, creative license taken with a work like Sam in New York than in some other, you know, more strictly historical works. Right, right. Because Sam in New York isn't strictly historical. It's more of a human experience, um, Mm -hmm. lower consciousness story. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's pretty character driven. I would say that even if we do change the setting to like 2020, not that much would be changed about the characters. Right. In general. I mean, I mean, other than their occupation and their education, I mean, more people would be going to university. But other than that, I don't really think there would be that much of a difference. Sam's struggles will probably still be the same. Right, right. That's what sort of makes it timeless and relatable to your audience, you know. Um, and speaking of flow of consciousness and things being character driven, that leads us to our third question, um, which is how do you integrate flow of consciousness and other modernist techniques into historical fiction? Because historical fiction is often seen as kind of like a, a pageant with costumes or just focused on events and such. How do you make that flow of consciousness and, and put in those, you know, other modernist, uh, you know, in t- techniques employed in there? I think what I do is basically focus on the character himself. As I've said before, Sam is the focus of Sam in New York, whether it's the webtoon or the visual novel. So by focusing on Sam himself as a person rather than as a historical, you know, focus on the modifier, historical character, I think we can end up focusing more on his inner journey and what I seek to achieve with the series, which is to kind of make people think about what they want in life and what is meaningful in their own lives. And this is all subjective, right? Sam's story is about him discovering what matters to him the most in each of the different routes he explores in the visual novel. So he can end up becoming a lawyer or he can end up being something else or he can end up being an actor. And there's also a wide variety of love interests that he can also end up with, each of whom, you know, elucidates a different aspect of his personality and his inner struggles. That makes sense. Um, And and that's a very brilliant way, you know, to approach something because I think a lot of people struggle with reading historical fiction because it can often feel like fantasy. It can often feel like a lifeless pageantry of just visuals or actions or plot. Um, But this is a very interesting approach and take. I think it adds more depth and humanity. And, you know, it certainly feels more like a human story than just solely a a historical fiction. It's a human story that just happens to take place uh, in a a time period. Exactly. Yeah. And also because, you know, Sam's story is also focused on how he sees the world around him. And I think this is rather timeless. And especially since this is in the modern period, in the 1920s, there's not, I think, that much difference. If it was like the Middle Ages, I think it would be a lot more difficult because in the Middle Ages, people were much more survivalist-minded. 
and it was much more violence. You know, violence was much like very normalized in those time periods, and people had different expectations in life. You know, people weren't relying on a job to get themselves fed. A lot of them were farmers. They were hunters, etc. So, like, it's a different lifestyle. Because the historical period in which Sam in New York is set is more similar to our own, we can see more parallels. Right, right, and I mean that sort of leads to kind of a subsection of a question. Um, you know, do you, do you feel like, for example, uh, probably you've answered this question, but do you feel like time and place um, affect the relatability of a narrative that you can create for a character? I think so, definitely. Time and place are very important because they also, you know, kind of shape the character and what kind of experience he, she, or they could have experienced. And, you know, that really shapes the course of the story, especially if your story is a very character-focused one. If it's a less character-focused one, like, for example, you know, the 2017 movie Dunkirk, which is like you know, a kind, of, kind of like a filmmaking exercise in which you don't really see into the minds of any of the soldiers. You just kind of hover and see their lives from the outside. And they're all pretty much nameless and we don't know their stories. I mean, that's a different kind of field that when, that, than what I'm exploring in Sammy New York. In fact, quite the opposite. Right, right. So, so, in, in, so essentially, you know, that's that's a very great example, Dunkirk, because it is, you know, taking place in a, you know, almost, you know, three to five years, you know, before Sam's timeline. Um, and isn't it World War Two? Wait, Dunkirk, wasn't that World War One? Uh, I'm pretty sure the movie was about World War Two. Oh, OK. I apologize for that. Um, yeah, sorry. I, I was confused for a second because I don't really remember it. Was it World War One or World War Two? I think it was World War Two. I think you're right. I'll have to like Google it later, but I think you're right. Um, but yes, I mean, essentially, you know, it does show that, you know, when you do focus on the outside of just historical events happening, um, you know, then you begin to lose connection with characters. So it is, it is nice to see a story that isn't, its sole focus isn't historical, uh, you know, chronicling events, tidbits, minutiae, but rather than just the human experience, which makes it all the more timeless. I think so, yes. Right, right. Um, our fourth question is, um, that actually leads to our fourth question. Um, how do you create a story that isn't molded by the events of that time period? Like, how do you have something that's more you know, organic, you can shape it more, you know, to fit a timeless human experience that isn't like constricted by the time events or constrictions of that, you know, social time period. <clears throat> I think it really depends on what time period you end up choosing, but the more different it is from our current one, I think the more difficult it would be to create a story that isn't molded by the events of the time period. Right, right. So, like you were saying, you know, if you were to write Sam in New York in the medieval ages, it probably would not even come to be because, I mean, you, you know what I mean? It, it would just be impossible, you know, because some narratives you can't, you know, transpose onto different eras because that would equate something entirely different. Indeed, yeah. I, I'm not really sure how I would tackle it in the Middle Ages. Right, right. Um, so, so how would you say, um, 
how would you say like for your future works do you plan on you know doing things you know of a historical nature like it like modern uh century or do you plan to focus on like postmodern, like currently like just i to, think oh sorry sorry oh, no, oh yeah for timelessness go ahead yeah yeah so um i think in general um i would probably focus on either 20th century stuff or stuff that's happening right now right right and, and also because you're able to immerse the human experience much better because it's something that you know you as a creator can understand and you know you don't have to think with a different mindset for like different social conventions and you know just the way the world is you know you're you're in you're in you're writing about the now world you know so to speak Indeed. Yeah. I think that's one of the things. And, you know, it saves me some work. And I think just from my perspective, um, you know, the modern world and the 20th century and all the developments that happened during the 20th century have always interested me more than anything that took place a longer time ago. I think it stems from the fact that I took a lot of courses in university that were about modern history. And I always like to think about what like what are, what's the impact of history on our current lives and a lot of the things that interest me like identity diaspora you know colonialism um you know stuff like that that all happened mostly in the 19th and 20th centuries right right that's very true um i think one thing um i think one more you know, like subsection of question how do you what advice would you give to people who want to write historical fiction but maybe they want to you know take place in a further removed time period and place how would you advise them to make it relatable to readers how would you how would you tell them to find that common universal human experience um i think that's a very good question and I think maybe Hellevorn would be a better answerer because she works a lot with, you know, medieval characters and the medieval setting. And from what I gleaned from the conversation that I had with her, I think um, what we need to keep in mind is that people are still the same no matter what age that we are. We haven't changed that much and evolution doesn't happen that quickly in the past like 1,000 years or 2,000 years, right? Right, so right. I would say that um, for time periods that are more removed from our, from our own, we would first have to look at what are the main preoccupations of that time period. What would make people from that time period different from us? Like, you know, what kind of occupations would they have? Or, you know, if they did have occupations, what kind of concerns would they have? And how would that translate to our current society? Yes, some of the things will be very different, but at the same time, you know, there's many things that are pretty much the same. And their lifespans would also be reduced. So what we consider young may be considered middle-aged in that time period as well. So ages may have to be changed. For example, Sam would be considered not young at age 25 in, I don't know, medieval Germany, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a very yeah. good point. Um, I suppose another subsection of question would be, um, what would you... Uh, like for example uh how would you how would you advise writers and creators and artists and such um when they're storytelling and they're doing a historical period how would you tell them how would you advise them how to avoid anachronism do you feel like anachronism ruins the story like it ruins the integrity of the story 
or do you feel that in some certain cases anachronism is allowed? Um, I think it's subjective. I mean, a lot of stories are more or less kind of like fantastical in some sense, even though it's historical, there might be like, for example, elements of the unreliable narrator, right? Or it could right. be written from the perspective of someone who's not even from that time period. For example, like maybe there's a book, like it looks like a typical historical fiction where you think the narrator is from the same time period as the characters, but maybe at the end it's revealed that he's actually a writer from the modern period. And he's piecing these people's stories together you know, as a thought experiment, or maybe it's because these people are his ancestors and he wants to research them. Right, right. So, so essentially, you know, it is subjective. So therefore it can be allowed. Um, should, should the writer make like a disclaimer for that in case people may want to say, oh, this was, you know, not entirely accurate, or I found this out of place. Do you think they need to worry about that or should they just go ahead and just go with it and not bother to put a disclaimer about any and anachronisms? Well, um, I think going back on my points, it just depends on what kind of narrative it is. If it is the kind of narrative where there is a very unreliable narrator, I don't think there isn't I don't think there's a it's not necessary for you to have a footnote because the whole entire point of the narrative is for the reader to figure out what is reliable and what is not. But if it's a right. completely straightforward, traditional way of writing where there is no unreliable narrator, maybe, yeah, I think it would be good to like, you know, put a footnote and say, yeah, no, this is something that I thought of, you know, I'm not really sure if any sources prove this, you know, the more traditional kind of historical writing that's more, you know, academically based and more factual. Right, right. That's, that's very good advice. Um, what would you say to um, creators who are, you know, maybe, you know, have some trepidations about, you know, they want to make everything entirely accurate right down to the very minute details. Um, would you, would you, would you advise them that they need to be concerned about that? Or would you advise them not to, you know, just to put it bluntly, sweat over the small stuff and focus on the bigger picture instead? I think generally speaking, I think it's better to just focus on the bigger picture, especially since, you know, um, if you're writing your first draft and you have a deadline, it's better to basically just have everything down, all of your ideas and the plot down before you fix any of the smaller details. Right, right. That's actually very good advice because there's so many people, like even myself included, who just used to sweat over the small stuff and just worry, oh my goodness, do I know about what kind of spoons they used or something, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, very good advice on that point. Um, I, suppose, I suppose the last subset of questions is, um, like, do you, do you feel that it's, do you feel like, do you feel like if you're going to have a historical event maybe affect the character um, do you think it's important to get, you know, focus on the event that's shaping them or, you know, focusing the, the character itself that's experiencing the event, you know, sort of like just kind of ignoring the facts happening around them, like the little details of that? Mm, I'm not really sure. Um, I think it really depends on what you want to achieve with your book and the character, right? Can you right. be a little bit more specific? Um, I would say, okay, for example, if somebody's going through, you know, say a specific, you know, event during a wartime period, 
um, you know, should you be focusing on details like, you know, like food shortages or, you know, what was the oncoming, you know, like this, this army's coming in to evade a city or something, or should, you know, you just have that in passing and just think about how that's affecting the characters, the character's emotional state and other things. I think you should include a little bit of what's happening, but maybe you can incorporate it better into the narrative by having someone tell this to the character or having the character read it somewhere. Right, right. Then that way it, it it's like you're experiencing it with them. You know, you're not just, you know, blankly putting it out there mm -hmm. in blank verse, in blank yeah. prose, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So, um, so how how would you say the how would you say um how how would you say like when doing the research for Sam in New York in its different forms um how would you say the research you know helped you not only as a researcher but also as a creator like did it help you expand to think more about different things and approach things differently um and you know if so you know, would that have happened if you hadn't been prompted to do the research? Hmm. I think, uh, can you rephrase the question again? Sorry, I'm oh. just really tired tonight. It's just, oh, no, no, that's yeah. okay. Yeah, I, even I'm a little tired and I'm, have, I'm kind of trying to figure out what I want to say. Would you think that researching the stuff for Sam in New York, do you think that helped you as a creator how to approach things differently, like a story differently, like characterization differently because you did research or do you think your writing approach would have stayed the same regardless of whether or not you did research hmm i think it would have pretty been the same because the focus was always on sam and his journey and i always kind of saw the historical research as just kind of like background dressing right right so this is it's a little bit different from what happened with me was that the more I did research, you know, the more it challenged me as a creator to improve better and be willing to like compromise, like not just to fit, you know, my own narrative, but, you know, create something, like I said, once you kind of compromise, like in my case, you get better things. So it's, it's, it's different in your case because your writing approach and such are, is a constant and everything else is just, you know, background dressing, so to speak. Mm -hmm. I think so. I think what really changed Sammy New York in general isn't research, but my own lived experiences. You know, as I grow as a person and, you know, as I think through more things like thought experiments and all the things that I think about usually, I think they have really influenced how I approach the characters and how I want them to develop. That's, that's, a, that's a wonderful thing to um, discuss about because there are creators out there like that who, if they want to do, say, historical period piece, they may feel intimidated, you know, by that, but, you know, here you're showing it doesn't have to be like that. You can have a, you know, different approach to that. And I think that's something that's challenging genres. Like anybody who writes in a certain genre, it can be challenged. It can be presented in a different way. It doesn't have to be, you know, in the same old mold and follow the, you know, same literary conventions and uh, you know, that so many people say you have to follow, like the people who write historical says, oh, you must have every fact right, or you have to focus on, <coughs> pardon me, you have to focus on these small details. You're saying, you know, um, 
it is it is part of that but make it if you want to make it more about the character by all means mm-hmm. make it more character driven make it more flow of consciousness and i think i think that's wonderful that you know creators can have that kind of liberty and we should take those liberties and challenge uh, literary genres mm-hmm. i agree totally yeah yes so um uh, is there anything that you'd like to, um, you know, impart to your audience about any uh, further developments or any, you know, parting words of advice to anybody who wants to take a different approach to like a certain genre, like say they want to take a more modern approach to historical fiction? I think in general, creators should keep in mind what they want to achieve and that, you know, there's many ways to basically write things. Genres are basically just kind of like marketing. It's just a label they slap on to say, yeah, your work fits in this box approximately, but you don't have to be limited by that box. In reality, I think most works are a blend of all genres, not just one. That's, that's a wonderful, th- I mean, that, that, that's a perfect summary. You know, like you just said, every work is a blend of different genres. And I, I think many creators need to, you know, maybe consider that rather than, you know, feel confined to write a story. And I think it limits the story. Do you think it limits the story when a creator just thinks of something solely in the terms of, of one genre, like when they're writing something? I don't really think so, but it can limit the creative process. I mean, there are works that solely fit under one genre, but it's debatable because I can't read the creator's mind whether the creator was only thinking about falling under that genre when writing that genre. Right, right. So um, this has been a very rewarding um, interview. Is, is there anything else that you'd like to impart to the audience um, in this interview? Um, I would just say that in general, just keep an open mind. Even with a genre you think that is really hard to write or very intimidating to start out writing, just think about how you would like to approach it personally and how you can contribute to this genre by, you know, just incorporating what you want into it. Because, yeah, because I think in general, creating a work is just basically expressing yourself. Right, right, exactly, exactly. And I think that's something... Um, you're very right about, you know, as you're, you know, as you, as you said, it's very important for creators to have the focus on what they want to achieve. What's the end game of what they want to achieve with their expression. Um, I suppose one last question is not so much an afterthought, but something I was going to ask before. Um, when you're researching something very niche, I mean, where would you find, what would be the best place to find the resources for that? I think we discussed it a little bit in our previous um, podcast, but how, how did you approach it? Like, where were the places that you found your resources? Um, for the most part, I found my resources through academic journals. And I started also like looking through um, literary critiques of books that are kind of related to the time period I was reading about, you know, even though, for example, Duddy Kravitz and a lot of Philip books, Philip Roth's books take place later in the 20th century, there are some similarities because, you know, it talks about, you know, immigrant culture and like the use of the Yiddish language that I found were really useful in constructing Sam's Lower East Side. So I referred to those like literary critiques of those works. And from there, you know, I was reading the art literary um, articles in the bibliographies of those. There were many links to other stuff as well. 
That's 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 very good advice. That's very good advice. Um, so how would people access these academic uh, resources? Like, would they have to have an account with the university, or are these you know readily available as long as you know where to search? Or are there any specific sites that you can uh, refer to? There was that site academia.org, or is it academia.com? I believe it's .org, I think. Yeah, that one. That, there's a lot of free stuff on there. And I think, um, just go, go, go on Google Scholar. They have a right. lot of links to different things, even like abstracts. Right. I can't read the whole article, but the abstract is really helpful. Right, right. Would you, I mean, I guess this has already been something everyone's discussed since 2010, but um, if people go to like read Wikipedia articles, but if they go to look at the source and they try to track down that source, can, can they use that as kind of like a stepping stone into further research? I definitely think so. Right. I have right. used it on certain occasions. Okay, that's, that's great because I, I know a lot of people rely on it because it's just like a you know, it's like the fastest way to find down the, you know, track down a source. So it's, it's wonderful to hear that kind of confirmation, you know, from a creator as yourself, who's, you know, really been immersed in the academic research and everything, but that that's an acceptable way to track down something very quickly. Mm -hmm. And there's right. also like, I think it just goes for whatever you're looking for. I mean, for your time period, it would be a lot harder to find because it's so far from our own, right? Like for example, in right. Russia, there were no recordings or vinyls or anything back then. But right. um, for Sam in New York, I've been finding a lot of, you know, songs from the 1920s, you know, Aaron Lebedev, he was a Yiddish performer and I was looking up all the lyrics and all the songs he was singing. And some of them were about Odessa, interestingly enough. So I found out for example, through listening to Aaron Lebedev, that most um, people in the Lower East Side who were in the Yiddish theater as actors actually hailed from Romania and Odessa. So I actually picked the right place for Sam's parents to immigrate from. Gosh, that's amazing. And it's amazing how you were able to find out that tidbit of information you know, from something like that, you know, like from, you know, songs and recordings and such that we, you know, that are available. Mm -hmm. And there were also another like collection of oral histories that's also on YouTube. Basically, it's like, I forgot what it was called, the Givo, I think. But they're basically based in America. And they basically interview a lot of people from around the world who remember using Yiddish as their first language. Wow, that's, that's a very remarkable resource. I mean, that's, I mean, that's like a goldmine right there. Yeah, like, you know, we have the experiences of people from Russia. Um, there's this guy from Texas. They're mostly older, right? And some of them don't really speak Yiddish anymore, except for a few words, but they remember their parents or their grandparents speaking it. So, you know, I get a little bit of insight into Sam's world that way. Oh, my. That, that's absolutely wonderful. And, and it kind of shows that, you know, when we do research, we're, we're kind of able to you know, find more human connection, essentially, you, you know, through these common, um, you know, human experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, I think at this point, um, so are there any other parting words that you'd like to give to your audience uh, before we conclude the interview? I think that's it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much, Fortunus Games. It was wonderful to have this conversation with you to learn about all these different approaches and you know challenging and expanding genres as well as you know 
the challenges of you know research and such and how to balance that um, so thank you so much uh, for this conversation uh, for sharing the experience and everything and thank you so much for this fantastic uh, com uh, conversation and interview thank you so much Tay Tay oh you're very welcome you're very welcome well uh, see you again in the next podcast then see you thanks see you. bye bye